Dear God, I thank you for each person here. Lord, we thank you for the remarkable gift of relationships. We thank you for those that you put in our lives that encourage us and lift us up and challenge us and hold us accountable. Lord, we are grateful for the ultimate relationship in you, uh, but we just are so thankful that you allow us um, to have all these people to come alongside of us. And Lord, in moments of aloneness and isolation and loneliness, Lord, we pray that you will just help us to be intentional about living relationally. And we just ask for your blessing and leading in that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Max Lucado tells a story about a friend of his that worked for a pharmacy. And he said, you know, mostly what he did was he took medicine to nursing homes in the area. But he had this one kind of odd job in his mind every four days. He would go uh, maybe 50, 100 yards to this little apartment, this older lady who lived by herself, and he would take a big thing of water, big jug of water to her, and that was her water. She lived in a place that she could have connected to the city water. It would have been a lot cheaper per month than him bringing in this big jug of water every four days. And he was like, what is going on here? And once he figured it out, it was basically that this woman was so lonely that she paid a lot more money just to have a human visit her every four days so she could have a conversation, even if it's just handing off a jug of water. Loneliness is a painful thing. We've probably all had moments of loneliness. I think of author Brandon Sanderson. He said he was 14 years of age. He was with a group of friends, and they decided to go somewhere else. He was a teenager, and he said they went out to the car and realized that the car only had five seats, and there were six of them. And he said, I watched as my best friend John hopped into the front seat. They all hopped into the car. They closed the doors. They looked at me and left me standing on the sidewalk. We've all had moments of aloneness, moments of loneliness, Many, many people struggle with loneliness in our culture. Uh, according to statistics, and a lot of what I'll throw at you as far as some of the things I'll, I'll say come from a book called The Lonely Century, and um, she says, the author says that 50% of people never eat lunch with their colleagues at work. Generation K, which are those born 1995 to uh, uh, 2002, uh, they are the loneliest generation that is ever been tracked as far as in surveys. Um, and so we see that this is a pretty huge problem. When I worked on the suicide line for three and a half years, I talked to people of different races, economic groups, educational levels, all kinds of different occupations. But that person on the other end of the phone who was suicidal always felt alone, always struggled with some loneliness. And part of our training and a big part of what we did, and here I was, three in the morning, with a person, you know, with a gun to their head, what I would try to do is help them uncover where they had a connection with somebody. And if I couldn't help them find a connection with someone, I tried to create a connection with me, a stranger, a voice on the other end of the phone, and to keep them alive. And, and that human connection, it's profound and powerful and life-giving. It is truly a lifeline. Loneliness is a significant problem. Now, being alone 
can, it can go in different directions. One theologian said, our language has widely sensed the two sides of being alone. It has created the word loneliness to express the pain of being alone, and it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Being alone is not bad in and of itself. Living alone, walking in loneliness, is not what we're designed to do. It is painful. It is a real struggle. Loneliness, according to June Hunt, is the state of sadness that comes from feeling alone, isolated, or cut off from others. We feel like we don't belong. We're not in the in crowd, whatever that might be. Mother Teresa once said, one of the greatest diseases is to be nobody to anybody. Max Lucado said, it's not the absence of faces, it's the absence of intimacy. Uh, We are told by one of our former Surgeon Generals that loneliness is an epidemic that many, many people struggle with this. About 25% of Americans in one survey say they have no confidence at all. They have no one that they can go talk about significant issues in their life. And I don't know, as I talk about this, maybe it pulls up a memory in your mind. Being picked last in gym class, having a birthday party and nobody shows up. It's not a new problem, it's an old problem. David talks about it in the Psalms, Psalm 25, 16, he cries out to God, turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. In Psalm 142, 4, he says, look and see, there is no one at my right hand, no one is concerned for me, I have no refuge, no one cares for my life. Separated, isolated, alone. I don't know if you've watched that television show, Alone, where Um, They go out and they try to survive in the wilderness and you don't know how long you have to last, but you have to outlast everybody else. And and most of the people on the show are survival experts. And what gets them is being alone. Day after day, week after week. And it's just, we're not designed for that. We're designed for connection. It's the person in the nursing home who doesn't get a visit. I think one of the most heartbreaking scenes in uh, the pandemic was when people couldn't go see their loved one in nursing homes. I know my dad was in a rehab place uh, for a while um, during the pandemic, and my mother would have to go and, and knock on the window and try to talk to him through the window for a period of time. The isolation of people is brutal. And there may have been struggles. Maybe, um, you know, maybe when you were a teenager, all your friends got girlfriends at the same time. And your little group that you ran around with, all of a sudden, you didn't have those friends. People want to know, does anyone see me? One of our most basic human desires is, is to be known. Sometimes people who are Single, their entire lives, they'll ask questions like, am I going to die alone? And so this is a real struggle for people. There are lots of causes of loneliness. One is singleness, whether chosen or not chosen. We've reached a point now where about 50% of American adults are single, according to the Dating Project. Um, It's the largest population of singles that we've ever had in the United States. 
And so we see that part of that can be more of a struggle with loneliness. Now, God can use singleness. There's some advantages to singleness. Augustine was, was uh, single. Origen was single. Amy Carmichael, the famous missionary. Mother Teresa, the famous humanitarian, was single. Um, of course, Jesus himself, having a wife and children, didn't fit with the mission of coming and dying on the cross. The Apostle Paul, greatest missionary we probably ever had, um, wrote much of the New Testament, walked out much of his life in singleness. And he says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I followed the example of Christ. And so singleness is one of the things that can lead to loneliness. Another source is rejection. We feel unwanted for one reason or another. Maybe you've had that moment where somebody broke up with you. You know, it's not me, it's you, you know, that kind of thing. Or it's not you, it's me. However they want to say that. Rejection is painful. That's a painful form, source of loneliness. I think of Job in the Old Testament, one of the oldest Bible books that we have. And Job says this in Job 19, verse 13 through 17. He went from being kind of a pillar of his community, celebrated, beloved, to ostracized by those around him. He says this, he, is, he was angry at God, he's lashing out at God. He says, he has alienated my family from me, my acquaintances are completely estranged from me, my relatives have gone away, my closest friends have forgotten me, my guests and my female servants count me a foreigner, they look on me as a stranger, I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth, my breath is offensive to my wife, I am loathsome to my own family. Kind of amused by the breath comment, but... It's heartbreaking. He was used to connection. He was used to relationship. I think of David who, you know, he had been nothing but loyal to King Saul. He fought for him and King Saul turned on him. And David had to run for his life for about a decade, it looks like. David writes this in Psalm 31, verse 11 and 12, Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors, an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. I love that image of a shattered vase on the floor. Maybe you invested years in a romantic relationship or a marriage to have them say, I don't love you anymore and walk away. Rejection is a painful source of loneliness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul felt it at times. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. I love his graciousness at the end. But notice he felt like, here I am, you know, I'm facing imprisonment, facing death for my faith, and nobody came through for me. Maybe you're a young woman and you want to date, you want to marry. I've heard young women say, I, I want someone to pursue me and no one will. It's heartbreaking. Jesus bore rejection. For the first time in all of eternity, Jesus hung on a cross and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as the sins of, etern of all humanity were poured out, the punishment for, 
for all those sins, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, that bond, that connection with God the Father was broken for the first time. And Jesus experienced that aloneness from rejection. There can be loss, widows, widowers, 50% divorce rate, that's the rejection, but it's also a loss. Loss of family, maybe. You don't get to see the kids as much or at all. Parents with empty nest. I mean, you want your kids to grow up and launch. I know, you know, we had this full table for years, you know, five children, and now we're down to one. It's a little empty. And he sits down by her. I don't, I don't know what the deal is. There's loneliness in suffering with disease and illness. Sometimes you look fine, but you're in pain every day and nobody gets it. Another source, so loss is a source. Technology is a source of loneliness. You might not think about this, but it is. We live in this era of pseudo-connection through social media. Not real connection. So many people um, don't have a single person. In one survey, 25% of those Americans who were surveyed did not have a single person that they said they could discuss an important matter. 25%. Nobody. How many of us have seen the family in the restaurant and everybody's on their phones? Nobody's talking. How many families have been that family in the restaurant, right? And so there's all kinds of causes of loneliness. But we are to answer a call to connection, to having relationships. David Brenner, or Benner, excuse me, he says this, the hunger for connection is one of the most fundamental desires of the human heart. We are hardwired for relationship. Not just with God, that's the ultimate connection, but with other people as well. Even though I've read this maybe hundreds of times, I'm still a little shocked by it. Adam is in the garden. There is no sin barrier between him and God. There's no brokenness in the relationship. He's experienced the fullness of a relationship with God, and he's in this paradise of a garden. And if he said this, I would be shocked and a little horrified, but God's the one who says it. In Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, "'It is not good for man to be alone.'" I will make a helper suitable for him. And so even with a full-blown relationship with God and the perfection of paradise around you, there's still a little ache for human connection. This is part of our wiring, part of our design. Jesus, when he sums up the law, he points to love, to that connection to both God and man. Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Evan already mentioned this, but in essence, the great commandments are to love God and to love your neighbor, to love others. And so we have to practice connection with people. We're called to this. Now, God gives us some basic ways. One is marriage and family. In Psalm 68, uh, verse 6, the first part, God sets the lonely in families. And sometimes it's not the... The typical family, maybe you were a foster child and someone who was a total stranger took you in and took care of you for a time and they became your family, maybe even adopted you. But marriage and family, 
The scripture talks about when a husband and wife, when they're joined in marriage, there's a oneness there. There's a beauty there. Now, you may not always feel that. You may be sitting here in a hard marriage, and that's a lonely place. But God gives us marriage and family to help us deal with the ache of loneliness. We all want to be loved, and we all want to love. People seek meaningful relationships. This is crucial to us. Now, families are, you know, I mean, they have, they have fun with one another. I, I felt a little alone this week. Um, I'm in a Monday night men's group, and, and we all took this personality test. And so I took this personality test, and there's like, they give you these names for these personality traits. And my lowest ones, there, there were some positive things, but my lowest ones were Energizer, which is fun and spontaneous, which apparently I'm not fun and spontaneous. Um, and then the next one was Harmonizer, which means you're compassionate and warm, and those were my, that was my second lowest. So I was not warm, compassionate, fun, or spontaneous, and my family's been giving me a hard time about that, which I suspect they're a little low on the compassion scale too. <laughs> I laughed, I taught the uh, junior hires a couple weeks ago, Evan preached, and, and uh, one of the parents just told me in the lobby, said, uh, she asked her son, well, how, how'd the pastor do in teaching the junior hires? And he said, well, on a scale of one to 10, I'd give him a six. <laughs> she goes, well, why a six? You know, and you, you give your teacher a 10. And, well, Rich Eyed works in magic tricks and teaches wrestling moves, and the pastor just gave us papers with verses on them. So <laughs> I don't know. So apparently that fun, spontaneous thing is biting me a couple places. But we are given marriage and family as a place of connection, as a place of refuge, as a place of acceptance, a place that helps us deal with the ache of loneliness. We're also given friendship. Friendship is crucial. We are to build friendship into our lives. Author Arthur C. Brooks, he's a businessman, and he talked about how one time he took his 13-year-old son Carlos to go fishing. And right before they're about to get out of the car and go into the river and fish, um, he's, he's like, his phone rings, and he looks, and this is a major client. I mean, they're, they're friends too, but he looks at this, he's like, I better take this. And so he says, and I'm sorry, I've got to take this call. And he's only on about five minutes. And after he gets off the phone, his son said, well, who was that dad? And Arthur said, well, a friend. And his son looked at him and he said, is he a real friend or a deal friend? And it's a great question to ask yourself, how many real friends do you have? Have you invested in that? Friendship is beautiful. Patrick Morley once said about friendship, there's a particular math to friendship. Shared joys are doubled and shared sorrows are cut in half. You see, a deep friendship is where you can bring your whole self. Not just your cleaned up image, but your whole self. Larry Crabb, who's a Christian counselor and has been in the practice helping people in counseling, uh, through counseling for years, said that he goes, honestly, 90% of the people who come to see me over my career of counseling, um, they could have worked through the issue they came to me about if they just had a good friend that they could talk to. 
One of the great friendships in Scripture is David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Now, Jonathan was heir apparent to King Saul. He would have been next. David was who God picks to be the next king of Israel. And so you would think they would be in conflict. You would think they would be enemies. But instead, it says that um, they meet together because Saul has turned on David. He hates David. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. And so they were close-knit friends at great personal cost to Jonathan. And David remembered that deep friendship after Saul, King Solomon, uh, excuse me, King Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. He poured out mercy and grace on Jonathan's son. And so we see friendship is this powerful thing, but friendship takes effort. It doesn't just automatically happen. In the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships in 2018, communication professor Jeffrey Hall says it takes 40 to 60 hours to form a casual friendship, 80 to 100 hours to transition to being a friend, and 200 hours to become a really good friend. We see Jesus preach this and model this, this friendship. You see him with the apostles. He gathers this intimate group. Yes, he preached and talked and taught the crowds, but he invested in these 12 men. And within that, there was a group of three, Peter, James, and John, that were like his closest friends that he poured the most into them. He had other friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And so you see him modeling this. You also see him talking about it, saying that greater love has no one that would lay down his life for his friend. You see him saying that uh, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another. These are all walking out friendship. He was very intentional. There is power in friendship. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Friends really are God's plan A for our lives. For us to walk in deep relationship with other people. Now, I think friends look a little different uh, between the genders. Men have a tendency to make friends um, and they kind of center it around an activity or a hobby um, or they'll have to have a reason to get together. Women often, the, the reason is just to get together. And so it's a little different. Um, I will say men tend to be a little more passive about investing in friendship. They tend not to do it as much, which can be a problem. But we all need friends in our lives. We all need to make that investment, and it helps us with this ache of loneliness. And don't try to put it all on one person. Like if, for instance, if you're married, thinking, well, just my spouse, you know, they'll be my North Star. They'll be my one person. No, you really need a constellation. You know, like wives, don't view your husband as the one person who's going to meet all the needs that you have. He's not going to do that very well. You need female friends. And you men, you need other men in your lives. It's important. And so instead of the kind of just this North Star idea, we need a constellation. I think of the um, trilogy, The Lord of the Rings. And you have Frodo, the ring bearer. And he has, he has a mentor, Gandalf. And then you have um, the greatest friend, Sam. 
And then you have these others that band together and help them to fulfill the mission. And so we all need to build those friendships in our lives. When was the last time you were intentional about building a friendship? Another way God helps us with the ache of loneliness is faith family or the church. We all need Jesus-centered companions and friends. This can really be the heartbeat of a great friendship, the person of Christ, that Christian commitment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, and that's the return of Christ. Spurring one another on. That means not just the pats on the back, It's sometimes a kick in the backside, like, look, get going. Need to change something. Need to move forward. The family of God, the church, is this beautiful, amazing entity made up of both individuals who are profoundly connected. I was reading about aspen trees, and I thought it was interesting. You look at an aspen tree, and they look like individual trees, but they usually are in these groves and they are part of an enormous root system. So they're really kind of one entity that has all these individual expressions. I was reading about the aspen. It's the largest living organism in the world. One stand of aspen in Utah is called the Pando. It spans 106 acres and weighs 6 million kilograms. And maybe you've seen the redwoods, those giant redwood trees. They can get as tall as 275 feet, and yet they only have roots that are five or six feet deep. And you would think a storm could just knock a redwood over. But those roots, they grow next to other redwood trees, and they kind of, they mend together. They mingle, and they just connect. And I think it's a pretty decent image of the church. We're individuals, but we're connected at our roots the person of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And we grow together in that. We see Paul and Timothy having a father-son, a mentor-mentee relationship. We see small groups uh, in churches where people do life together, whether they're formal or informal, whether they're in some church you know, list or not. I encourage you to think about, you know, like we make available membership to the Right Now videos. It's on the back of the bulletin every week or somewhere in the bulletin. How to set that up. And you can get a Bible study and invite some people and just start creating something informal. They may never appear in any of our literature, but it's you doing life with other Christians. There is power in community. Jesus does what he does, but he allows community to do something else to come alongside what he does. My favorite example of this is when Jesus stands outside the grave of his good friend Lazarus. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And only Jesus could call the dead back to life. That's a Jesus-only role. But then what does Jesus do? Once Lazarus comes out of the grave, he turns to the community and he says, you untie, you take off the grave clothes. Only God can give new life. Only God can resurrect us from our spiritual death, our sin, our brokenness. But in community, 
we can help each other take off our grave clothes, our addictions, our besetting sins, our traumas, our brokenness. There is power in the faith family. There is power in the church. It's kind of like each of us is a puzzle piece. And if you look at a puzzle piece, it has the little edges. You can tell the puzzle piece is designed to fit with other people. And you get the big picture when you look at the box top. And it's like the church is all these puzzle pieces and they fit together in order to create this big picture of what God is like to a broken and lost world. Now, we don't do it perfectly, but the church, the faith family, should point to God's compassion and truth and love and holiness. And so, you know, there's kind of in evangelical American Christianity, there's kind of just this, you know, Jesus and me, Lone Ranger style of Christianity. I'll tell you, you don't grow. You don't grow when you do that. You know, it was, it was really, I appreciate all your efforts, prayer, invitation, and all that. Last Sunday, you know, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, um, our highest had ever, we had ever had was 416 people, and we had 471 people. It's amazing. But the reality is, while I think we planted a lot of seeds, what will really do somebody some good is to plug in to a local church, to connect with other believers, to get with a group of people and do life and follow Christ wholeheartedly to process the struggles and the challenges together. Our little mission statement, little mantra here is is that Journey Church exists to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other. It'd be easy to just stop it, to connect people to Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the source of all that is good. But to each other as well. Just as we serve a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, We are to come together. There is to be a unity. So let me just give you some practical things. I'm just going to blow through these really quickly. Um, The acrostic bridge. Just how do you do this? How do you, you know, make friends? How do you connect in the church? How do you make this work? The B in bridge is to be a friend. You know, I want friends. Well, be a friend. Be that kind of person. Practice hospitality. Look for people at church or other settings that are new or that don't look like they've connected yet. They don't seem to know anybody. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9 says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So notice people. Notice people. Some are single and you want to be married. You know, it, it, yes, look for the right person. But be the right person. Grow. Be a person who's maturing and growing. So the be in bridge is to be a friend. Uh, The R in bridge is to really listen. See, what kind of comes off for listening for most of us is you're talking and I'm internally going, okay, so what am I going to say next? And I'm kind of, I'm just listening enough so I know what to say and it makes sense. Actually hit pause and listen. Hear what's actually said. This is a profound gift to people. In a world and a culture that loves to just talk endlessly, 
listen. Proverbs 20, verse 5, the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. And how do you do that? By listening. In James 1.19, we're told, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Our culture, we tend to want to be quick to speak and slow to listen. You know, I... If you read and listen to counselors and scientists who study the brain, when someone is actually being listened to, their brain, I mean, it it changes their brain. I mean, there's this incredible, the mirror neurons, it's fascinating if you dig into all of that, what's happening when you actually look somebody in the eye and listen to them. It's profound. And I, I, I'll just give you a little warning. I think men, we, we're not as good at this. I remember in college at Taylor University, and this girl wanted to interview me for her psychology class, and she wanted, I don't know, talk about whatever. And I literally sat there, and I was, I was watching this show, and so she's kind of bugging me, but she wanted to do it at that moment. So I'm like, so I was kind of listening to her and her questions and kind of watching the show. And it was this whole thing where I had the whole conversation, my answers were appropriate, but I wasn't like spinning and looking at her and giving her the full attention. And if you're not careful, you will do that to your spouse, you'll do it to your kids. I always appreciate my father, who was a very busy man. He would, you know, if I went in and wanted to talk to him, and you know, a little kid, it's probably not like earth shattering. And he would put his paper down or his work, he'd set it aside, and he'd just stop and listen. And that is a powerful gift. And so really listen. The iron bridge is for intentional. Be intentional. You want to have relationships, you want to have friendships, be intentional. The Old Testament story of Ruth is kind of an interesting one. It's very cultural. I'm not recommending this path. Um, but Ruth, when she wanted to get married... Uh, Naomi told her, okay, so here's the man, he's the kinsman redeemer, and there's a whole technical side of that. So he's like the one who can marry you. And, and so you go watch where he goes to sleep at night among all the workers, and you go uncover his feet and you go lay at his feet. Um, like I said, this is very cultural, not recommending it. But, um, and then he wakes up and like, who is this? Oh, it's Ruth. And oh, she, she's taking the initiative. And so then he goes and does what he needs to do, and so he marries her. And I appreciate that story. You know, so many of us, well, I don't have friends, I'm lonely. Well, who did you invite out? Did you go to Rotary? Did you go to church? Did you volunteer in the community? Did you, you know, you start asking the questions. Every once in a while, somebody will tell me, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the church. I, I just didn't connect. Guess what? I'm going to ask you some questions. Did you ever go to a small group? Well, no. Did you ever volunteer? No, I never did. Did you go to church? Like consistently? About once a month. Take the initiative. If you want relationships, take the initiative. About 15 million people in the United States attack their struggles through groups like AA, NA, these different self-help groups, and they take the initiative, and they go into a room, and they sit with other people who have the same struggles, 
and they say, all right, we're going to build a relationship here and we're going to move forward. I'm not going to read it to you again, but Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 and 10, you know, just the benefits of doing life with others. If you fall down, you, you know, so be intentional. Get people in your life. The D in bridge is for delve into their story. We all have a story. This is really honestly just kind of a tack on to the listening idea. Particularly if you struggle with somebody, if you'll take the time to understand their story, to ask for it, to listen to it. People are consistent. There are reasons they do and respond the way they do. Try to hear their story. Ask good questions. Fred Rogers once said, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. Now maybe he's overstating it, but I think it will definitely raise your sympathy. It will encourage you to lean in with this particular person once you hear them story. their story. What makes them cry? What makes them laugh? What makes them want to sing? What was the relationship like in the family they grew up in? You're dealing with a person with a high trauma history, that's going to be a little different than a person who had an intact home. There's scars there. The G in bridge is for grace. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Maybe one cure for the ache of loneliness in your life is you need to rebuild a few bridges that you burned. Maybe you're walking through life in a spirit of offense. Maybe you're, you have a sibling that you've chosen not to forgive. And so I encourage you to offer grace. Because no one's perfect. Everybody hurts you. Everybody disappoints at one time or another. And so there has to be this kindness from you, this unmerited favor, this grace, this forgiveness. And so look at your life. Maybe there are a few bridges that need to be rebuilt. The E is for encourage others. This is kind of taking the initiative again. Look around. How could I encourage this person? I see that they're going through a hard time. I see that they're facing some challenges. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. This world will tear people down. This world is very critical. You be the encourager. You be the one that lifts up. Anybody can see the person's flaws. You be the person who sees their strengths, who comes alongside and lifts them up. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So when there is a crisis, encourage them by doing something practical, coming alongside and helping them where you can. And so when we look at all of this, the big idea is this. Loneliness is not the last word. Loneliness is not the last word. Connection with God and others is the last word. That's what heaven is ultimately. It's in this place of perfection, the new heavens and the new earth, the ultimate connection with God and with others. And all the sin is removed and we are brought together in perfect relationship. Loneliness is not the last word. Connection with God and others is the last word. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for each person here. I thank you for parents who have invested in us. I thank you for 
extended family that's come alongside. I thank you for youth sponsors who have invested in teenagers and, and Sunday school teachers. And Lord, I thank you for those who volunteer and provide food for those who need it. Lord, we thank you for those who build bridges. Lord, in a culture that seems to specialize in walls, help us to be people who build bridges. People who are about connection and relationship. Lord, we thank you that you and the others you have placed in our lives are the, are the answer for the ache of loneliness that sometimes hits us and hurts us. Lord, we thank you that you are always with us. You never leave us. And Lord, I pray that we will look for those around us to whom we can reach out, connect, and build a relationship that points them not just to us, but to you. This is our prayer in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.